the Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents The Roots of Reconstruction by Rusas John Rushduni Narrated by Shelby Luke Thank you for joining me this week in the reading of Roots of Reconstruction by Rusus John Rushduni. In lieu of the judgment of God across this nation, I appeal to you to listen, learn, and live as the Holy Spirit guides you in the truth of the Word of God. The words and prompting of fallible men do not hold a candle to the truth of Scripture, and the truth of Scripture will only be words to our ears unless we exhort, establish, and exercise these infallible words in every area of thought and life. Chalcedon Report number 136, December 1976. The principle of selective obedience to God means finally no obedience at all. It means that whether we obey God's word or not, in either case it is our will that is done, because we insist on being in the driver's seat. We pass judgment on God's requirements and pick and choose what suits us. In such a world, every man is his own God, determining for himself what constitutes good and evil. In such a world, anarchism rapidly takes over. Hand in hand with anarchism, we have terrorism. Where man takes control, he assumes the right, whether through the state or as an individual, to enforce his own will. No law then exists outside of man, and this comes down basically to the individual. Terrorism is very much with us today, all over the world. In a few countries, stern measures control it to a degree, but they do not eliminate it as witness the riots and murders in communist countries, nor do they remedy the causes. Although only a very small minority in any country are terrorists, the seeds of it are in most of us. Terrorism believes that no progress is possible through the normal processes of law, civil government, and society. The situation is seen as hopeless. It requires violence to clear away the roadblocks. Therefore, the answer is in disruptive acts of murder and terrorism. The idea is to disrupt and break down all normal processes because they are seen as evil beyond redemption. In one country after another, the popular mentality is congenial to terrorism. More and more people on the left, right, and middle insist that things are hopeless. The aphorisms expressing this feeling are many. To cite a few, you can't fight City Hall. This country needs a few good funerals. Why bother to vote? It all adds up to the same thing. All politicians are crooked and so on. These attitudes are very common, and they are the philosophy of terrorism. During the student riots of the 1960s, I met an anguished father whose son had gone underground to fight the establishment. The father shared all these opinions we have just cited, but he held a fine position and functioned as an upper-middle-class leader. His son was simply applying his father's and professor's logic. If the establishment is hopelessly rotten, then knock it over. All counsels of despair logically require us either to withdraw from the world and retreat into the desert, as some did before Rome fell, 
or to overthrow the supposedly hopelessly evil order. I find it significant that so many people are more and more indifferent to voting. They record it as useless to vote for anyone. They claim that there is no man on any ballot worth voting for, and that voting is useless anyway. It's all been decided. Such people are the parents of terrorism. The terrorist and the indifferentist are agreed. The establishment is hopeless. All too many who vote share their despair concerning change. The problem, of course, is that all these people confuse the establishment with God. They ascribe omnipotence and or eternity to it. Moreover, they see the establishment as the great cause, the great determiner, rather than an effect, an effect of man's sin. The locale of sin is not the establishment, but in the heart of man, all men. The false principle of selective depravity leads men to localize sin in a race, group, class, or establishment. The answer, then, is to destroy that element in society. Such a course only increases the corruption of society. All counsels of despair are denials of the lordship of Jesus Christ. They deny his sovereignty and his government of all things. The terrorists are very much the children of our times, the apt pupils of their parents, teachers, professors, pastors, and elders. They are conscientiously applying the lessons they have been years in learning. The dropout mentality in all its forms, terrorism, drugs, liquor, the sexual revolution, hedonism, and more is a product of these councils of cynicism and despair. In Rome, this dropout mentality led to a common reaction. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. 1 Corinthians 15.32 Some people commit suicide, others plant bombs. Both have a common despair of life and a cynicism regarding progress. The faithful Christian knows, however, that he has a duty to occupy. Luke 19.13 Every area of life and thought for his Lord. He knows that the very gates of hell cannot prevail, in example, hold out, against Christ's kingdom, Matthew 16:18. The word ecclesia, translated as church, means the assembly or congregation, the entire people with its institutions and armies. To this Lord he must render, not selective, but unqualified obedience. Anything short of this makes man the Lord, not Christ. The Lord says to all who render him selective obedience, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Luke 6.46 Terrorism? Most of us don't like it, but most of us help create it. We sometimes talk like Christians, but we act otherwise. We sometimes talk like terrorists with our cynicism and despair, but we are horrified at the idea of terrorism. Somebody has been taking us seriously, and it is not the Lord. Calcedon Report number 137, January 1977 We have seen the doctrine of selective depravity is very dangerous because while having a seemingly biblical doctrine of sin, it shifts the area of sin from all men to some men. Sin is localized in a class or race. We must now turn to another form of this same pernicious and dangerous doctrine, one inherited from the Enlightenment. 
Enlightenment thinkers believed in the natural goodness of man, provided the man was a philosopher like themselves, a rationalist and a skeptic. Religion meant for them superstition and evil. For most men, their natural goodness was only potential, because they were influenced by religion. For the intellectual and scientific elite, the philosophies, natural goodness was actual, because they had abandoned the superstition of the Christian religion. This doctrine has been, in various forms, a persistent factor in modern history. Marxism, with its dictatorship of the proletariat, Fabian socialism and democracy, with its guidance by scientific planners, and national socialism, with its leadership principle, are forms of this belief in selective depravity. If we believe in selective depravity, we then believe also in selective leadership by an elite class race, or group. In neo-Orthodox thought, there was a supposed revival of the biblical doctrine of original sin. Karl Barth and Reinhold Niebuhr, for example, seemed to echo the Orthodox doctrine of man and his sin. Their doctrine of sin, however, was only formally theological but actually sociological. An example of this was Reinhold Niebuhr's the Illusion of World Government, 1949, which first appeared in the April 1949 issue of Foreign Affairs. Men assume, Niebuhr held, that because world order is desirable, it is therefore attainable. There is no proof he held that there is either the moral ability of mankind to create a world government by an act of will nor of the political ability of such a government to integrate a world community in advance of a more gradual growth of the social tissue, which every community requires more than government. The underlying presupposition and faith of Niebuhr are here revealed. There is no theological moral inability, but only an historical inability. Given enough time, an international community and government will develop. There are echoes of Edmund Burke here. The disability of sin is not theological and does not require regeneration. It is sociological and requires simply the passing of time. Of course, Niebuhr and Barth had no real answer to breakdowns of national and local communities because of sin. For them, an historical development became a natural asset because there was for them no truly supernatural grace in history. The centuries of Christian grace and development were for them a natural asset, a product of an evolving history which would grow a new social tissue, the world community. Of course, some of them as superior men had already developed that social tissue and could therefore guide the world into the new order. Because for them creation by God's supernatural act is a myth, theological concepts of sin and grace are all mythical. Sin is sociological, and grace and power come from the context of history. Adolf Hitler, that clear-cut theologian of humanism, stated the implications of historical rather than supernatural grace. As a super-democrat, he told Chancellor Bruning, at the end of 1931, the fundamental thesis of democracy runs, all power issues from the people. 
there can be no law or right beyond the will of the people. The majority will of the people can thus abolish any constitution previously granted rights or laws and do no wrong, because there is no power, right, or grace Hitler held beyond the people. It is not enough to hold to the possible or actual depravity of all men, as some neo-Orthodox thinkers have done. Is man's sin theological, an example against the sovereign and living God, or is it sociological against human society? Sin is against law, against ultimate power and authority. If that ultimate creating power is society, then salvation is social salvation, and it involves, as it did for Niebuhr, a world community. If that ultimacy is in society, then grace, saving grace, can only come from society, and hence the importance to Barth and Niebuhr of creating a new world order. We can then understand why, for political rather than theological man, the problem of social salvation by social gospel becomes so urgent. For them, it is man's only hope. This doctrine of selective depravity thus has two or three important presuppositions. First, it holds that all sin is in essence sociological against society rather than theological against God. Second, it holds that some enlightened ones are aware of this fact and are living in terms of a world community which is to be beyond sin, beyond good and evil, and they are thus empowered to deal with those who are less enlightened. This can lead to a third presupposition, and usually does, that power to the people means power to the philosophers, the enlightened ones. David, however, saw the meaning of sin more clearly. It is in essence always theological, because the law broken is God's law. Therefore, of his sin of adultery with Bathsheba and his murder of Uriah, he declared to God, Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. Psalms 51.4 It was because it was God's law he had broken that David knew the enormity of his offense against Uriah and Bathsheba. The only true doctrine of depravity is thus theological. Only when we face up to the meaning of sin can we also know what grace is and whence it comes. The harvest of the Enlightenment and neo-Orthodox doctrine of sin, which now prevails everywhere in the councils of state, is an evil harvest and a bloody one. Thank you for joining me this week in the reading of Roots of Reconstruction by Bruce's John Rushby. Lord willing, we will be reading again next week. Until then, may God bless your endeavors as you serve the one and only King Jesus. It was the blood of Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, the love he had shown us by his pain, the very price. It was there at Calvary's tree, where he died for you and me. Serves we should to 
Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom.